The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Shapiro, and today we're going to discuss consumer preferences and the power of scarcity. Joining us is Dr. Mindy Weinstein, who is the founder and CEO of Market MindShift, which is a boutique digital marketing firm at the forefront of digital marketing methodology and solutions. Market MindShift has been helping local and large businesses across the United States and abroad increase their customer base and organic traffic since 2016. And today, Mindy and I are going to talk about why scarcity marketing affects consumer behavior. All right, here's the first part of my conversation with Dr. Mindy Weinstein, the founder and CEO of Market MindShift. Mindy, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to hear from you. Excited to talk a little bit about scarcity, about some of the things that are inherent to the psychology of marketing. You wrote the book on this stuff. Yes, I did. You're not only a doctor, but a published author. First off, tell us a little bit about your book, The Power of Scarcity. Yes. So The Power of Scarcity, for me, I am a marketer by trade, been a marketer for decades. And then when I was pursuing my PhD, I ended up studying more of the marketing psychology. And I had a special interest in scarcity because when I was doing research, I realized that is one of the most powerful motivations when it comes to consumer behavior. And so my book is all about the psychology behind scarcity and how it affects our decisions as consumers, but also how businesses can apply it and do so ethically and not in that weird spammy way or the way that a lot of us don't like, but there is so much to the topic. And so that's really the focus of my book. So my first job out of college was a basically door-to-door, let's call it a business-to-business sales job where I was going in and out of small local businesses in Massachusetts, the suburbs of Boston, trying to sell AT&T service that was more expensive than Verizon services and hoping that people were just pissed off at their phone carrier. It was a terrible job, taught me an incredible amount about persuasion and sales because I was selling a more expensive product that was essentially a commodity. And the company that I was working for had these training factors, and four of them were the four impulse factors. Jones effect, so keeping up with the Joneses, indifference, fear of loss, and sense of urgency. 
And I always think very much about that, where there's this notion of, well, somebody else has this and I'm going to take it away from you. It is a scarce resource. That's combining two of my four impulse factors that I learned in my spammy door-to-door sales job. There's a couple of other factors that make people want to buy. Why is scarcity one of them and why is it so powerful? That's really interesting hearing about that training because two of those lessons that they were teaching you, as you just mentioned, that is part of scarcity. So the thing about scarcity and what we know, you know, I want to just simplify the definition for everyone too. It's unavailability of some type and it could just be any restriction. So there's time related, demand related, supply related and limited edition. So that's important to like file that away in your mind because I'm sure it's going to come up as we're talking. But when we think about what does scarcity actually do and why does it influence us, we have seen through brain scans that when we are faced with scarcity, and I'm not talking about a scarce resource like water or food or shelter, I'm talking about an auction simulation or you just see that there's some type of limited time promotion. Through these research studies, we've been able to see that the brain, when it's exposed to that, the activity and the decision-making part of the brain starts to light up, meaning there's a lot of activity going on over there. And through those studies, we've been able to see that some of the normal steps in the decision-making process are skipped because what the brain does, we are hardwired to overcome scarcity. So if there's a scarce situation, whether it be a product or a service, it's urgent to us. So in our brain, it's urgent. So that urgency you're talking about, that's where that comes into play. But at the same time, we've also seen that when participants hooked up to MRIs, so again, those are brain scans, exposed to scarce products, the area of their brains that have to do with valuation processes also show an increase of activity, which also leads us to the conclusion that when we are faced with something that is scarce, our mind thinks scarcity equals value. If something is scarce, it's more valuable. And of course, there's the fear of loss, and that's like a whole nother thing too. But Again, through these studies, that's really what caught my attention as I was diving into the principles of scarcity was that we're not just talking about people filling out a survey or a questionnaire and giving their responses about, you know, scarcity. We're talking about brains, looking at the brain and what is happening. And it's just fascinating. I have mixed emotions about marketing to scarcity. I rebranded my company. We went from being called Ben J. Shap LLC, little me, me, me on the title, to I hear everything because we started doing content as a service. We're creating podcasts for B2B brands. And as part of that process, I reached out to John from Entrepreneurs on Fire. He's a member of the HubSpot Podcast Network for a little advice. And he said, go read $100 million offers by Alex Hermosi. Have you read the book yet? I have not read that one yet. I'll have to add that to my list. It's basically like, hey, you've got a product. It was a great book. You got a product and here's how to put a compelling offer together that will help you maximize your return on the product. And one of the things that they talk about is essentially supply and demand and building in scarcity. And I had mixed emotions about this with my brand. I don't want to come off as pushy. I don't want to come off as overly salesy. With my company, we have the capacity to start a new podcast every six weeks. And basically reading this book made me think that we should be including the fact that we have a limited amount of supply because that might drive potential customers to realize that they have to act now or they're going to have to get on a waiting list for us to work on their podcast. I had mixed emotions about it. So if scarcity is so effective, can you tell me why going into starting to promote our content as a service product 
why was something in my brain that said, hey, don't be pushy? Is there a balancing act where you can have essentially too much scarcity or be sort of too upfront with it? There is such thing as too much. And definitely you want to stay away from anything that's fake scarcity. And we've all seen that before where you might hear about this exclusive club and you're going to get a membership, yet it's always packed. You know, there's so much for being exclusive. Or you see that, oh, this product is selling out and that was the advertisement, yet it seems fully stocked all the time. Or that the numbers keep changing, you know, on the site, one left, oh, now there's 10 left. Some of those could be glitches. I give it that. But we've seen those and that is not what you want to do. But your example actually is fantastic when it comes to scarcity. So the way that I look at it is scarcity should be natural and we should just let customers know because for you and your situation, you truly can only do one every six weeks, like you said. And so there is natural scarcity that exists. So you do want to communicate that to customers. That's not being pushy. That to me is being more informative because I think flipping it, it's worse if you're not saying anything and people come to you and say, well, I want to sign up with you. And you're like, sorry, without informing them. But there is something about fear of loss that really plays into that too. There's a tone component that goes into it, right? In our outreach, it's, hey, I can only do six podcasts. Do you want one? Because I got to do yours right now. And if you don't buy it right now, then you're not going to get it. And oh my God, you're going to lose. As opposed to like, here's the natural facts. We do one every six weeks. And if you're ready to move forward, we'd love to work with you. But if you can't make the decision now, we might have to put you on the wait list and we might get to you next quarter or, or in a couple months from now. How do you figure out the tone to appropriately communicate that there is scarcity without being a used car salesman? I want to step back, though, because I want to give you a little bit more glimpse into the types of scarcity because they speak to different audiences, which is going to make a difference with what you just asked me. So I already told you there's the four different types, but time related, that's what a lot of us are used to. That's like your flash sales, the drops that occur. There's all sorts of things that come up and they're a limited time. So you're actually competing against the clock. And then there's demand related where something's just popular and it tends to sell out or fill up because of that. And those are like your best sellers and wait lists. Then there's supply related. And that's kind of what you described is that when there is a natural limited supply that does speak to a certain person, but I'm gonna hold on to that one second because finally you have limited edition and that is really part of supply related scarcity, but I pull it out because it's so powerful on its own. Even in a service related business, you could have bundles that you do that are limited edition that we're gonna offer these services for this time. So all of those are into it, but all of those different types of scarcity, they speak to different people. So with supply-related scarcity, for example, that really draws people in who have a desire to be unique, to be special, to feel like they are part of something that's exclusive. So in that situation, you don't want to come off as that hard car salesman and you're pushing people because that's not what they want. They want to feel, again, just like they're special. And so in your situation, coming up with a more informative tone and letting people know, yeah, hey, we'd love to work with you. Just wanted to let you know, this is how it works. We commonly have people on the wait list, but we'd love to, when we have a slot available, bring you in. And now you're not pushing them. You're really just informing them 
And it, it builds that relationship and it really speaks to those people. So that's just kind of something to think about. For the demand-related scarcity, that's a little different. And really with that, it's not so much being unique because it means everyone else has it too, but it's being either part of a group or if you've ever been in a situation where you just like went to the store, you didn't know what to buy, there was a product you needed, you didn't know the brands, but there was one brand that there was like two left on the shelf, you're going to grab it because those are mental shortcuts that we take when something's in high demand. But for your situation, it's really that informative type of tone that's going to speak to that particular audience. So let's put some definitions around that. How do you define the difference between demand scarcity and supply scarcity? They are very, very closely related. Demand-related scarcity is caused by popularity. So it's something is selling out or harder to get. And it's just, a, that is true, like supply trying to keep up with demand. That's that category. So anytime you see something that's a bestseller, that it's notated as a bestseller or most popular or even restocked, things like that, those are triggers for demand-related scarcity. So that and waitlist, waitlist actually fall into that category. When we think about supply-related, Usually that's because there was truly just a limited quantity either produced or released. And in terms of time, like in what we're talking about with podcasting, you only, time is limited. And so that turns into supply related as well, because there's only so much that you have available. There is a scarce number of resources either way. When it is demand related, it is that so many people want this product that you better get it before it's gone. And supply related is there is a limited number of these. Correct. And then the thing is with demand related, just even how you described it, that's what you see when there's competition. When people are competing for something, that's going to be a lot of demand related because you feel that sense of competition. This is something a lot of people are wanting to get. And so I'm going to make sure that I get it too. But sometimes there is crossover. I'm not going to tell you that there never is crossover between the two. Really all of them, sometimes it might be a limited number of supply. There was some type of restriction, yet it wasn't taken into account that there would be such high demand. I mean, so sometimes they are overlap a bit, but they are still separate categories. Do you see that different types of scarcity or, or some of the mechanisms that you've talked about are specifically effective in one industry versus another? Is there an e-commerce scarcity as opposed to professional services scarcity as opposed to SaaS? I'm going to talk about more of the product, so physical goods when it comes to supply related. That works really well for things that are what we refer to as conspicuous consumption, meaning people are going to know. So whether it's like the latest Nikes you got or the latest handbag or the latest car, that kind of thing. And so that works really well for that category. But it does also work well with B2B because of that exclusive feel of that you are going to get special attention. You are going to be part of this community of podcasters, you know, who we know what we're doing. And so works very well there. Now, demand related doesn't work as well for things that are not conspicuous. And so those are like the everyday things that we get. And so that can work great, but just remember, it's not going to be something high end because that really isn't going to speak to that group. Talk to me about some of the marketing channels where scarcity can be communicated, right? I, I'm thinking, okay, on our product pages, if you're in e-commerce, only a certain number of units available or restocked or get it fast before time runs out. 
there's that sort of mechanism when you're in buy mode. Where does scarcity fit into your marketing and what are some of the ways to communicate it? So there's a lot of different ways. So I'm going to give you some different examples. You gave some great ones. So if you are using email, having restock in the subject line, that's something that does indicate scarcity. And I know of a popular jewelry brand that does that. And having a conversation with the founder of that company, she said their fear was always running out of product and then realized, well, actually, that's one of our major selling points is that it is so popular. And when they put in restock in the subject line, which was absolutely 100% true, they had run out of stock and restocked it, sales spiked. And it's actually now, again, one of the big draws to their company is that they do run out quite often. So you could do it through emails. If you're in an e-commerce setting, or even if you are software as a service, indicating what is most popular or a best seller is still scarcity. So if you have different software packages saying this is the one most clients choose, that's scarcity. And that's actually shows even that demand and popularity. All right, I got to jump in here. I just did this as well. We rebuilt our sponsorship programs for the MarTech podcast, and we've got three flavors of sponsorship, an awareness builder, a thought leadership package, and a demand generation package. One's 1500 one's three grand, and one's $4,500 a quarter. And in the tool I was using, you have the option to pick this one's recommended. Well, of course, I'm going to recommend the one that's the biggest package with the most services I felt like you go to a restaurant, it's like, what should you get? You should get the filet mignon. It's the most expensive thing on the menu. And therefore, (laughs) my tip is larger as a waiter. Isn't that what people are always going to recommend? That's where I feel like you get into the truly being informative. Myself included as a marketer, I'm going to be more apt to tell you to get, get this tier, you know, work with us here. But really, what is truly the most common? And actually, some restaurants will just mark like this is one of the best selling items. And maybe it's something that they do have a lot of. It doesn't mean it's the highest price, but it could be a good margin for them. So really going back to what you asked, you do want to truly show this is the most popular. That's where I think it is that fine line there. We use this is recommended and it is recommended because the last package, we actually retarget the people that listen to sponsored content to drive them to a website. And so you get an interaction, not just the awareness benefits of podcasting. Anyway, the verbiage (laughs) was very important to me to not call it a bestseller, but say, hey, we think that this is the best deal. Right. And that's big. And so I had interviewed the founder of 1-800-Flowers and I was talking to him and he's telling me all the different ways that they use the principle of scarcity. And he gave a good example because it goes with what we're talking about. He goes, if you go to our website, there's so many different bouquets to choose from. It's overwhelming for someone when they're not used to picking that out. He goes, so we will just mark this one's most popular just to help speed up that decision-making process, which is what we talked about in the beginning, and to help the customers. And he said, it, and it does, you know, the more people are going to choose that, of course, and they know that, but it is truly one of their most popular items. So those are the kind of things, but also even let, let's switch it to like doing proposals. So I'm talking about more on e-commerce and emails, but let's say that you're putting together a proposal for a client that you are a service provider. Even there, you can still mark the most popular packages, even in your conversations. And this goes with the example that you had given me. If you're talking to a prospect and you are a consultant, I mean, your time is going to be limited. We only have 24 hours in the day. So there isn't anything wrong with saying, well, we are selective on who we work with, because that should be true. You should be selective on who you work with. 
but we would like to hear more about your project. And it's interesting because I know consultants who have just changed the verbiage just a little bit to saying, well, we are selective because we can only work with so many people at a time to be able to give them that quality service. And it flips the conversation to then that potential client saying, hey, here's the reasons you want to work with us. And so, you know, it's not going to happen all the time. I mean, none of this stuff is 100%, but it does help. And a lot of times it's just the wording. And again, always being honest. Like that's a huge thing, big proponent, no fake scarcity out there. I guess the last question I have for you is for marketers that are thinking about, okay, how do I interject scarcity or message the scarcity that is actually true in my business? What are some of the last tips that you have for interjecting this in and what should you try to avoid putting into your marketing programs? Number one, I mean, you have to understand what's driving your customers. And so I talked about the need for uniqueness, but there's also a need for conformity and belonging. And so showing something's again, popular, best-selling, that really speaks to those people. So knowing a bit about really it's knowing your personas, I mean, that's a big thing starting there. And then within the messaging, it's being natural with it, doing things that aren't over the top by now, you're going to miss out forever. Those are problematic. But you can do things like we talked about some of the different ways to communicate it. But if you're wanting to truly show this is where, let's say it's a promotion and we're trying to elicit people to take action, instead of just showing them the sales price, it's a lot better to show them what the regular price is as well. And most people know that, but not everyone. And the people that are using it don't necessarily understand why, but what it does is it elicits that feeling of, well, if I don't buy during this sale, this is how much I'm going to pay and I'm actually going to lose out on this promotion. And so there's these little subtle things like that you can do that make a difference and really still is informing your customer. Marketing is an art and a science. You have to understand the brain chemistry, the the actual true science to know that scarcity really matters. It is an influential factor in your customer's buying decision. That's the science part. But the art is communicating it and finding that line between making your customers aware that scarcity is something they should consider without being pushy, without coming off like a used car salesman to turn them away from you potentially having motives that aren't in line with theirs. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Dr. Mindy Weinstein, the founder and CEO of Market MindShift. Join us again tomorrow when Mindy and I continue our conversation talking about how the holidays offer stability. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Mindy, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact her on Twitter. Her handle is Mindy Weinstein. That's M-I-N-D-Y-W-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Or you could visit her company's website, which is marketmindshift.com. Also, Mindy's got her book, The Power of Scarcity. If you're interested in reading more about scarcity, you can go to powerofscarcity.com to go buy her book. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I Hear Everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.